Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Got a great show for you tonight. As always, we're going to be starting off with the Coach's Corner panel here in just a a moment or two. Uh, And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by tonight's special guest, uh, international PGA Tour uh, golf professional, uh, Horace Brown, is going to be joining me here on the second half. We've got lots to talk about tonight, so I hope you stick around for the second half of the show as well. Uh, As always, we're live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, unless otherwise stated. Uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And the best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply type golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you, uh, of course, to the main page. And you can listen, uh, as I said, live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. For some reason, if you can't join us live, just scroll down that page to the on-demand section. And of course, as I've mentioned so many times, uh, all of the shows are auto-recorded so you can listen when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also jump in on any of the other uh, great social media platforms like iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and of course, TuneIn.com. And again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to those uh, uh, respective social media platforms. Uh, always update the shows every week on uh, Facebook uh, at uh, Golf Talk Live blog and also on my personal page. Uh, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Uh, you can always get updates there as well every week uh, about uh, who's going to be on the panel and uh, who my special guest is going to be. And also under my personal page uh, on uh, or my personal profile on LinkedIn.com as well. So you can just type in Ted Odorico and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got a great uh, panel tonight. These guys have been on uh, so many times. It's uh, just like having family on here. So I'm um, always excited to have these two gentlemen on. Uh, let me just... Uh, uh, tell a little bit about each of them, just to remind every for those maybe uh, joining us for the first time, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is John Hughes, uh, PJ Master Professional and the president of the North Florida PJ Section. Uh, he was also the recipient of the 2013 PJ of America Horton Smith Award, and he's also a top 30 instructor uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, also joining the panel, and uh, again, uh, a very frequent guest on uh, the Coach's Corner panel, and I'd like to hope I can call him a friend as well, and that's Peter Egazarian. Uh, he's uh, both a PGA and TPI teacher professional at the Traconic uh, Golf Club. He's also the head men's golf coach with the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, uh, as well as the founder of the Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. Gentlemen, as always, welcome, and thank you for joining me tonight on Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Ted. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for jumping in. And as I've said so many times, I know it's not always easy when we're uh, out working during the day and trying to help uh, all of you out there uh, improve on your game to, to then jump on for an hour uh, doing the Coach's Corner panel. So very much appreciative of all of the uh, great uh, guests that I have on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, guys, we're going to talk about uh, um, 
we're sort of midstream, if you will, for some, especially up in the Northeast. Uh, we're well into the summer season. People have had uh, many rounds under their belt, so to speak. And, uh, and we're going to talk about a, a couple of things. Um, obviously, th- there's really sort of two, I, I like to categorize two camps, if you will. There's those that uh, are maybe having a pretty good golf season, doing fairly well. And then there's those that have sort of hit a wall. Uh, they're just struggling and so forth. So, um, Peter, I'm going to start with you. And, and what I'd like for you guys to do is, and again, you don't certainly have to give out names or anything like that, but certainly use and draw from your own uh, students and those that, some of the, the groups that you're working with uh, as, as uh, part of your, your answers. Um, but when you come across students who maybe have hit some roadblocks through the season, they're just really struggling uh, with their game, what is the number one thing that you like to do with them to sort of get them on, uh, back on track? Peter, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I like to go on the golf course with them and have just a really um, open conversation. You know, the more the more I can listen and understand and, you know, take in their thought process, their, you know, any kind of maybe if it's, you know, just any kind of technical stuff they might be thinking about um, and understand their mindset, you know, where they are in life, what they're, what's going on, you know, just I, I spend a lot of time listening. And then, you know, I offer, right. you know, some solutions as to, you know, potentially what can help, you know, save the rest of the season, something they can do, or just, you know, help them discover what they're already doing well and focusing on that instead of all the negatives and just try to, you know, reset their mindset, you know, for the rest of the, you know, three, three and a half months we have left in the Northeast here and help them enjoy right. it. Um, that's the whole thing. I mean, I think everybody's in golf has a different um, idea of what fun means to them. Um, but it's, it is all <laughs> geared towards having fun. And, um, you know, that's really the, the need is for me to be more of a listener. Um, and then to really base the solution around what their mindset is and, um, yeah, offering a, a solution for them that can really help them enjoy it more. Yeah, and let me just follow up, uh, John, before I get to you with Peter, uh, just on that. I, I mean, essentially what I'm hearing you say, and I think this is something that a lot of uh, teach professionals and coaches out there uh, in, in the golf industry are starting to understand, um, that it's not so much what's going on with the golf swing uh, necessarily, that a lot of times it's what's on going in between the, the years. Uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but essentially what I'm hearing you say is really a lot of times, especially in today's economy and with, with so much going on, uh, coming at us from all different directions, uh, a lot of people are, carry a lot of anxiety and, and pressures from work and, and home life, and that can creep into the golf game. So that's really what you're trying to do is find out what some of the outside elements that may be affecting before you actually get into making repairs, uh, with their actual golf swing, correct? Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You know, because it just happened okay. an hour ago, you know, because, you know, okay. one of the junior golfers that I teach and coach and it's on an ongoing basis is doing extremely well. But this is, and I talked about this before, this is new attention. And we're getting, yep. you know, him, you know, the student and I or player and I get together on, you know, a biweekly, monthly basis. And we check in with each other during the season. During the off season, we spend more time together. But. Sure. We had zero 
0% of our two hours today was talked about technique. And it was all talked mm-hmm. about how he was feeling about all of this new attention that he's getting, how he's right. dealing with it, how he feels about it. You know, how, how do you think it's, how does he feel like it's affecting his game? How does the player feel like they can move forward and deal with it in a different way so it's not affecting them? And how they can, you know, deal with this moving forward. So it, it's it's great. It's all positive things. There's all, you know, just people wishing him well on social, all of these really positive things, but it's all very new. So, and then, right. you know, he's feeling the conversation feeling better about it because we talked about the things that were most important to him. And I think that can hold true for everyone. You know, there's something that's going to be the most important conversation that they need to have. And it's, you know, like you said, it's just going to be different for everybody. And it's, it's tough to really give a, a, a prime, more prime example than maybe something like that, where their mindsets affecting their performance. Um, you know, that's just a one example, I guess. Right. Well said. Uh, John, let me go to you now. Um, you know, Peter raises a, a very interesting point. You know, a lot of times I think uh, sort of the golf profession of the old, if you will, uh, you know, sort of ran out and we talked about, uh, you know, when we either were dealing with a new student or we were dealing with a student that was running into some uh, issues right away. It was, well, let's get back to the basics, the grip, the stance, the posture. And those are certainly all important. Um, but as Peter suggested, you know, we, we have to look at the whole picture. We have to look not just at the physical part of the game, but what's going on upstairs with the player as well, because a lot of those things can affect uh, even the best players. Um, but what about yourself? What, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with a lot of that. What do you do, John? You've got a player that's come to you or, or a student that's come to you. Uh, they've been playing now for a few months, uh, and all of a sudden, it's like the wheels have fallen off the bus. Where do you start with them, and 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 what's your uh, recommendation for students like that? Uh, uh, thanks, Peter, and and thanks, uh, Ted, for having me on again. Just want to say that first right off the bat. And I'm very similar to Peter in that. I'm gonna sit and listen. Uh, I'm gonna listen to a lot of things that they may not recognize they're saying, because uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. as we're identifying these strengths and uh, trying to eliminate variables, trying to eliminate some things that aren't necessarily consistent. When you're listening, you're on the course watching, evaluating, a lot of times what's standing in someone's way is the most obvious and they just can't see it. And Peter's example as far yeah. as, hey, I'm doing so well, I'm getting this new kind of attention. It's outside this person's comfort zone. Uh, and right. you're not going to find that out unless you're listening and, and eliminating some, some things that just aren't common, just aren't consistent. From a physical standpoint of view, a lot of times, even with the better player, you're going back to some maybe there's a fundamental off. And a, and a great example of that is Jordan Spieth's putting over the past year. It just basically boiled down yep. to a fundamental that he never knew he fell into. Uh, he was in it for a while, it worked, and then it didn't work, and all of a sudden the world blows up. So it it just doesn't happen overnight, and he's a great example of that. Contrary to Jordan Spieth, you've got the average amateur, the weekend person. They're not spending as much time. So when I'm looking at the common denominators of strengths and having them focus on that, I'm not necessarily wanting to point out the weaknesses. I may point out you're off with your fundamental basics. 
and those are always baseline, whether it's a collection of data, video, or numbers, or it's just a collection of, of preferences that we've spoken about over the years that maybe one of those preferences are out. Another great example mm -hmm. of that, and I'm going to date myself, is the, uh, <laughs> I want to say it was the 1986 New York Mets and Keith Hernandez, <clears throat> who goes into a batting mm -hmm. slump middle of the season, and he starts looking at video yep. at the beginning of the season when he was on a tear, and it turns out he kept his front shoulder into the swing a little bit longer when he was on a tear and his front shoulder was opening up. He That was one of the first examples I can remember, and that's that's a great example of, hey, what were you doing when you were doing it well? And let's go back to that. Uh, sometimes it's fundamental. Sometimes it's a position. A lot of times, as Peter said, it's a mindset. Uh, you, your expectations yeah. get the better of you. So it is a it's a listening game on my behalf. It's different for every person, but there's always sure. a commonality as you collect the strengths that identifies the most obvious, and it's your choice to either work on it or forget about it. And sometimes forgetting about it is the best choice you can make. Well said uh, as well, John. Uh, you're exactly right, and, and you're both correct. I think that you know, one of the biggest mistakes, and it doesn't necessarily, it's not certainly limited to just the golf industry. It's its really uh, any any area of our lives. I think that a lot of times we need to be, uh, as coaches and teaching professionals, we need to be good listeners first and foremost, because a lot of times there's things that the students will say, um, and if we're not really coherent and not really picking up those things, a lot of times we're just going to sort of run over them and start doing things that may not benefit them. Uh, in the long run, and ultimately they're going to get frustrated. And I think this has happened, and, and certainly to no fault, uh, let me just clarify that, to no fault of any specific uh, you know, method or coach or, or teaching professional out there, I think it's just you know, sometimes we get caught up in our own excitement. We enjoy doing what we do, and we want to do the best that we can to help the students. But I think in this day and age, uh, with so much information, and we've talked about this before, guys, on the show uh, there is so much outside information uh, on the internet and out sources with even in the golf industry videos that um, you know that are being put out that are not necessarily by qualified individuals that give a lot of misinformation. So on that note, and I know we've talked about this before, but I want to touch on this again because uh, Peter, you mentioned something there about this particular individual that you were uh, helping out today or, or here recently uh, that they've sort of had this newfound. Uh, attention. So working with, uh, and Peter, I'm coming back to you, obviously, working mm -hmm. with some of these uh, younger players that are, you know, going through uh, collegiate golf and, and getting ready to, you know, launch a career, whether to play professional golf or in some other area, perhaps. Um, there's obviously a lot of outside influence and social through social media and other applications. How do you as a coach uh, and also as a teach professional, how do you help them sift through and navigate through that in order to be able to um, help them uh, get the best out of their abilities? Yeah, you know, you, you know, we really talk about it right up front. You know, with my the, the junior, the competitive junior golfers I work with, well, we talk about it almost every session for a period of time. You know, we just kind of right. You know, I, I'm always checking in with them personally. I'm like, what's going on? You know, what's up? You know you playing too much Fortnite? what's going on it's like 
It's that's a real thing, by the way. They play Fortnite until all yes, hours I know. of the night, and it's a it's a real thing for right. you know junior and college golfers that it's something that's very real, and you have to talk about it. Um, but you know, and, and it's an ongoing conversation about just helping them, you know, like you said, navigate the social because, and I'm just encouraging them to express gratitude and be be thankful and be you know as gracious as they possibly can be. And, you know, whenever people want to give them, you know, praise, always deflect it to your parents and always deflect it to your teammates or whatever you want to do to really give, you know, to show gratitude, to give credit where credit's due to people who are supporting you because it's always, you're never doing this alone. And I, I encourage them not to bring me up at all because I don't, you know, it's not, I'm not part of their family as much as I do see them. Um, but Mm -hmm that's what I always recommend, you know, and if there, if there's people that are giving them noise on social as a collegiate division three golfer or as a junior golfer in Western Massachusetts or New Hampshire, you know, in new England, then you just don't need to be associated with them. You understand that there's a certain, you know, they might have a certain something going on in their life that they're, they're dealing with. And, you know, we really have these conversations because it's, it's, sometimes and then sometimes this is a conversation that I urge a parent to have with the child but a lot of times they're going to have a a conversation with me that maybe they feel maybe funny that maybe they feel as though the parent doesn't understand they are teenagers that's kind of a natural thing that they they they're feeling but you know I'm just talking in how they can perform the best um, as a junior golfer a student athlete and then you know helping them understand that you know, the effort and the attitude they're bringing to their, to their golf game can really translate to their professional life eventually. And the golfing ability that they can have um, at a minimum after they graduate high school or college is going to serve them very well um, for the rest of their life. It's not like every other uh, collegiate or high school sport. Uh, this is something you never stop playing if, if you choose to. Mm-hmm. So it's not like baseball or football or, or, you know, soccer or whatever, that you reach a certain point where you're just, your physical capabilities aren't there. It's, you know, they, they do have this, uh, they're carrying this ability for the rest of their lives. So that's just an example of a bunch of the conversations we have. And it's just generally dictated by whatever they want to bring up and talk about. So that's, that's the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah, And that's good to have that dialogue. And I think, again, you know, all industries and again not just the golf industry but you know there has been a lot of changes we've seen this in in all major sports uh it's a different breed of of athlete out there uh you know and and we've noticed it uh, of course on the the uh the major tours whether it be the PGA or the LPJ tour and and uh, some of the other uh, step ups like the Symmetra and, and web.com you know we see a whole new breed of golfer John and uh there is a lot of outside influence in their life um, not just through social media, but just other things as well. Um, and I know you've also worked with uh, collegiate players and, and that, and, and at that level, um, that have a, a goal and, and a, a drive and a desire to be, um, you know, the best and, and compete with with uh, their peers. What do you do to keep them focused uh, on that task and remind them that uh, it, it's not always going to be an easy journey? It's not always going to be fun, and certainly we try to make it fun. 
Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, it's time to buckle down and, and let's get down to business. Uh, what do you do to, to uh, sort of help them navigate that and help them, you know, keep some of the outside influences from, uh, from distracting uh, the task at hand? So I would say it doesn't necessarily apply to juniors so much as I think it's part of the maturation of skill levels that you go through no matter what your age, no matter what your gender, that there you have to, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, gatekeep what you're keeping close to you and let go of those things that are not productive in reaching the goals or the challenges you've set for yourself. So uh, at a junior level, yeah, it's a lot of social media, just social in general. Uh, a lot of the innuendo and and just gossipy rumors that happen at your school or in, in your at your club or whatever the case may be, uh, it's it's understanding one thing and one thing only: does this contribute to me and my success or not? And that's sort of the rule of thumb that I use with most everything in my life, and that's what I try to pass on to my clients is did it affect you? If it doesn't affect you, it's, there's no need to spend any time on it. If it affects you, then let's look at how it affects you. And if it affects you in a positive way, then that's something we need to look at is maybe adding to the routine. If it's affecting you in neutral, we have to look at, we have to reassess whether it's necessary or not. And if it's not, if it's affecting you in a negative way, <clears throat> Uh, but yet it's a long-standing tradition or routine or whatever. We have to look at it as have we outgrown that? Have we aged out of that? Or is that something that's just point-blank a distraction? And, and that's really the first thing yep. you have to learn to do is eliminate the distractions. What's funny about this, I was at the PGA Championship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week uh, mm-hmm. supporting a, a North Florida PGA member who qualified, Matt Borscher. And he was commenting about all the distractions that are being placed on the 20 PGA professionals that qualified. And it was really interesting to hear how he was eliminating his distractions. Here's a gentleman that's playing in a major championship. It's his third major that he's played in. But he said that the, Mm. being the first time at the PGA, being a PGA member, the distractions were much, much different and the responsibilities and demands placed upon him were much, much different. And that he, uh, right. at dinner Tuesday, he basically talked about having to relearn to use the word no. Uh, every golfer, yeah. as they go along, wants to be able to give back and recognize. And, and for lack of a better way of saying it, do a favor for people who have gotten them there. And that's all fine and dandy. Mm-hmm. But if to reach your goals, you've got to be able to do, judiciously use the word no, whether it's a distraction, a person, an event, a cause, uh, and and really focus inwardly on on what you're passionate about, and be able to fit that into your time puzzle. Uh, the best players in the world struggle with this all the time. Jordan Spieth after his breakout year, uh, Woods after his breakout year. I, I can name them. I can keep naming them. That second, that right. sophomore year, they have to learn to eliminate the distractions, judiciously <laughs> learn to use the word no differently. Um, it, that goes for a lot of different things, not just on the course. It goes for off the course as well. This is what this is the difference between those who are truly committed and those that are half-heartedly committed. And I don't mean half-heartedly in a negative way. 
it's all based on what I right. talked about on this program, life priorities. And that's okay. If your life priorities say that you're making a half a commitment, then let's eliminate those distractions. Let's learn to use the word no so that half commitment is a full half commitment, not just a quarter of a half of a commitment. When you're doing that, you're you're bound to be better. You're bound to maintain and sustain your level. Uh, reaching your potential and maintaining it is that much easier. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And and thanks guys for for giving some examples as well. I you know this is uh, important to you know really not just sort of talk uh, about uh, you know possible scenarios, but uh, but actually getting into real life experiences that, that, you know, we can share here on the panel discussions, um, not only for, for our fellow uh, professionals, but uh, also for uh, the, the general public out there that can hear and say, you know what, um, because I, and I think Peter, you would probably agree. Uh, and John that, you know, sometimes as human beings, when we hear somebody else struggling or having difficulties in a similar fashion to what we are, um, uh, certainly anybody that, that has good morals, there's a certain, um, you know, sense of, okay, hey, you know, John over here or, or Peter over here or Ted over here kind of knows how I feel. And there's sort of a relatability um, and, and under, uh, sort of a mutual understanding, if you will. And it kind of helps to, to make you feel better that you're not the only one going through that. And, and the reason why I, I wanted to kind of tackle this discussion a little bit tonight and, and we'll we'll drift into a different area here in just a second but um you know peter i think that one of the things too that uh you know is is attitude um you know we can talk about how the importance of of understanding and and making things relatable uh in our everyday lives uh, but also, too, you know, we hear a lot of people blaming, say, well, you know, I've, I've taken some lessons and I'm just not getting any better in that. But a lot of times when you really listen to their discussion, um, there's a very negative attitude already sort of preconceived in, in the initial discussion. So they've already come in with a negative attitude. So this is something, too, that I'm sure you've had to deal with with some of the junior golfers that you're working with uh, as the head coach. How do you tackle that area? and getting them to, to be more positive, uh, even in, in difficult times. No, I, I think it's <clears throat> something you deal with, with every age group, you know, they're going to bring a certain mindset, yep. um, that, <clears throat> you know, they're going to have preconceived notions about what their experience is going to be with someone like myself or someone like, you know, John, that, it, that, maybe they took a lesson, you know, 10 years ago and they think it's going to be the same exact thing yeah. where we're just going to tell them you have to do this and you have to do that. You have to do that. That's enough of an, of a, you know, an attitude or a mindset, as I call it, that's going to take a little bit of time in the initial part of our session, just to kind of dispel and help them relax and get over some of that anxiety of that, what their experience might be moving forward because it's, mm. you know, at least that's what I find with all age groups. Um, you know, when you're talking about the, at the collegiate level, I have an ability to choose who is part of my program and who I can invite in and to play there. And attitude is my biggest thing. I'll take, mm. I will, I will take it. I mean, 
it's division three golf, you know, where there's no, there's no scholarships. I will happily take a kid that a student athlete that has an 77 average or an 80 average that has an amazing attitude that's come, wants to come and work. I mean, those are the, those are the student athletes I'm looking for because I know, you know, from what I, what I can bring to the table and what they're going to bring to the table and attitude, we can help them shoot par or 75 and, or maybe even better than that, depending on how hard they're really willing to work. But like you said, if they're, you know, if they're bringing an attitude of, you know, say you have an adult that you've been coaching for, you know, a month or so, and they have an expectation that they're going to get better immediately. They're going to be where they want to be immediately. Then you need to have a different conversation and, you know, just help them understand exactly maybe how far they've already come. Maybe you're not exactly where you want to be yet, but you know, and that's, mm. that's where I leverage TrackMan and some of the things we've done. And, you know, we have that record and, you know, we look back and we say, okay, maybe, you know, this is what your shot dispersion looked like, you know, at, when we started and now this is what it is. Or, you know, right. if you took a skills test, and this was your score at this point. Now we took this exact same skills test last week or whatever, and this is what you had. You could see how much more you improved, how much closer to the target you are. Um, there's things you can do and just help them understand that, wow, you are getting better. It just you're not there where you want to be yet, but you're on your way. Or it's there's all of these things that just you need to have whatever conversation needs to happen to help the player understand that a, you need to, you need to come with a positive attitude. I mean, as far as the collegiate players, it's something that I asked of them for every practice. I just, all I ask yep. for when they're coming into the program it, or coming into the season or coming into practice or coming into an event is effort and attitude. That's all I care about. And I tell them, I'm, I tell them yep. flat out, if you can give me a positive version of both, I'm going to take you where you want to go. The score is going to happen. Everything else can take care of itself. Yeah. And, and that's a, a great, uh, great point. You know, it's, it's obviously that, that, that positive attitude and it's the way that they apply themselves. I think that is, is going to dictate how the, the lessons or how the coaching experience is going to be. And, and John, you know, we've dealt, let's, flip over to sort of the opposite uh, end of the spectrum. You know, we get a lot of, uh, especially in the, in the fall and the winter months, we get a lot of, uh, of our more senior golfers that uh, come down and, and uh, want to take part in, in some of the great golf in, in here in, in Florida. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have been playing golf a long time. And, and um, you know, once they were, they were hitting it, uh, you know, maybe 250 yards and, and now they're, they're, you know, struggling to get 175 or even 200 in some cases, uh, if they're, you know, still hitting a, a decent ball. And, you know, even though that old saying, you know, you can't teach a, an old dog new trick, um, that's not entirely true. With the right application and with the right attitude coming in, uh, we can do a lot with uh, even some of the more seasoned golfers out there. Um, walk us through a little bit, if you will, uh, some of the uh, things that you try to do with, with that particular golfer, when you know they're coming in, there's already uh, a history there, not necessarily with you, but a history in golf. 
Um, how do you sort of unravel and get to the meat of the problem and, and show them, as, as Peter just talked about, really show and break down where they were and where they are and, and having realistic expectations? How do you have that conversation with them? Before I get into that, I've got to compliment Peter almost as if he was a fly on the wall today. For me, I just took over a high school <laughs> ladies golf program, and today was our first day. And everything he said, it was almost as if he had a videotape going. Uh, well done, pat you on the back. Uh, we have a lot in common there. It's not too uncommon to do the same thing for the recreational golfer. Um there's yep. two ways to look at it. Let's look at it from the retained uh, student, the retained client, someone who's coming to you a lot, someone who's coming to you often, uh, you're their go-to coach or, or you have a go-to coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in the seat of the client. If you've got that go-to coach you're going to all the time, you've got to be honest and tell that coach what's going on. Um, the less belly aching, the better, because we've got the coach, a good coach isn't going to really start helping you with your issues until the belly aching stops. Uh, what I mean by that is you can play the poor, poor, pitiful me kind of thing, and, and we're there to listen, but we're there to get to the bottom line and help you with it. So the more prepared you are to talk about it, whether it's statistically or it's a particular physical feeling, Maybe it's a physical ailment or impairment that you're struggling through. We got to know that up front. Yeah. When we can cut to the chase, we can get you there quicker. Uh, uh, from a baseline standpoint of view, where, this is where you've been. Uh, you used to hit it 225. Now you're hitting it 200. Let's, let's find some factual data and, and see if that's true, number one. Number two is we're finding out if it's true, most likely we may find some root causes. But we've got to get to that mm -hmm. bottom line quicker for your sake, not mine. And the more prepared you go into a coaching session that way, the better. Uh, as much as you want to pry on our shoulders and we're there for that to happen, uh, the longer <laughs> you cry on the shoulder, the longer it takes to get you where you want to go. And th that transitions into what my wife calls come to Jesus meetings. I have a lot of those with, right. <laughs> with all my clients. Uh, and that's basically right. saying, well, yeah, that that's great. But, but tell me this or tell me that, or what I'm really searching for is the answer to the question. Why uh, I'm there to help yes. you with that, but you've got to help me. You've got to provide me some facts, not some innuendo. A lot of the clients that come to me with high expectations that I don't see the second barrel, the uh, vacation coach, the one-and-done one and coach, or what have you. Yeah. Um, a lot of the one-and-done coaches that are not doing you a service are the ones that are just trying to patch you up. Uh, it's the easiest yeah. way. It's the lowest hanging fruit, <clears throat> and you can get a lot accomplished in the first 48 hours. But when I've had to be forced to coach that way, I get people calling me back or emailing me back four to six, eight weeks later saying, hey, I'm doing the same thing all over again. And the only yeah. answer to that is, well, keep doing what we told you to do. Well, at some point, you'll figure that out. For that one-and-done coach, the one-and-done coach is really good. Who They can help you out by, A, being honest with them, but, B, why don't you leave your expectations and your ego at the door? 
uh, I'm being yeah. very blunt and having that come to Jesus meeting with the listeners tonight because when I can have this conversation <laughs> with someone who's wanting more distance, well, let's figure out, A, can you physically do it? B, do you have the time to put to put in to get it done? And the best example mm-hmm. of that are the seniors that frequent me in, in the Florida area. They're always talking about used to, used to, used to. And I keep asking, <laughs> I, that's not part of my vocabulary. Can you tell me what that means? Uh, mm-hmm. From the phrase used to, let's talk about what you can do now. And let's talk about what you can do right now that's really good. Um Sometimes in that come to Jesus meeting, we gotta we gotta make some sacrifices. Whether it's moving to a different tee, or maybe you gotta put those stiff shafts away for some senior shafts. Uh, there's a lot of different yeah. variables that come into there. But at the end of the day, let's look for long-term, sustainable things that do meet your commitment level to the practice of of golf and to the improvement of it. I'm of a firm belief that anyone who comes to me has a brain, so I'm trying to engage their brain that way, but they also have a life, and it's my responsibility to understand how golf fits into that life so they can sustain it and feel good about what they're doing. But bottom line, students, whether you're going to your go-to coach, you're going to the one-and-done coach, just be honest, be prepared expectations, uh, I don't know if I've coined the phrase or I'm just borrowing it and rephrasing it, expectations lead to one thing and one thing only, and that's failure because they're a dream. A dream is a goal without a plan. Dreams and expectations, those are great, but do you have a plan to get them? And that's, that's what you're going to a coach for. And if you keep that in the back of your brain and work with them and be willing to take on the realism of a come-to-Jesus meeting, you'll get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, you know, that, John, you, you uh, raised a very interesting point there, you know, having um, having goals and that are important. Uh, but also part of the, the puzzle is you've got to have uh, an action plan. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, we, we have to get across to our students what it is that they want to see and expect um, but they've got to understand that it has to be realistic based on their current uh, circumstances. And and I like the fact that you mentioned, because this is something too, and I think most people understand this, but you'd be surprised at how many people, as you said, are still playing with the same golf clubs they did 25 years ago or certainly the same shafts, um, but their physical limitations are as such that that's just not going to work for them uh, in, in today's game. They just don't have the physical prowess, if you will, for lack of better words, to be able to support that particular equipment. So sometimes even something like a a very small, uh, minute equipment change uh, can give them some of those extra yards they're looking for or uh, even create uh, more accuracy. Uh, A lot of times when you're playing uh, the wrong shafts, uh, a lot of times that can uh, can affect your dispersion patterns as well because you're playing with too stiff of a shaft and and uh, or too uh, flexible of a shaft, you know, can have the, also the opposite effect as well. So these are key things that I think that going to your coach and going to your teacher professional and working through uh, some of these factors as well uh, is is critical. I mean, it's great to go out and say I want to buy some new equipment, um, but if you're buying equipment that's not being properly fitted or suited to your game, 
uh, and you're just buying it because it's the, the latest, greatest thing out there, uh, then you're doing uh, not only yourself a disservice, but you're doing uh, the uh, the people that you bought it for uh, for a uh, disservice as well, because you're certainly not going to, to speak very highly of uh, the pro that's helped to fit you out or even the organization that you purchased it from um, because you're not going to be happy with the, the end product. So uh, lots of great points there, guys. Um, I thought we would take a few moments, uh, being that we're we're on the cusp of of uh, the final uh, major of the the year, the uh, PGA Championship. Uh, just want to get your thoughts uh, coming into this weekend. Uh, what you would, if you were sitting with a group of students in front of the TV and you were all watching it together, obviously uh, you want to enjoy that. But uh, if you were using that as a teachable moment. Uh, what were some things that you would probably look for uh, during the, the various broadcasts that you would want to point out? Obviously not necessarily during uh, the broadcast, but if you were going to re- have a review of, of the day's events, uh, what are some key things that you're going to look for that you would want to relay that information to your students and say, uh, and John, you've mentioned a couple times, you know, Jordan Spieth does this, does that, and these are things that even though you're an entirely different human being, these are some uh, good habits maybe to incorporate into uh, your golf game, uh, John. I'm going to pardon me. Let you go first, and then Peter. Uh, if you're watching the telecast, and and probably a lot of your listeners may have the opportunity to go to a professional event, regardless of whether it's PGA, LPGA, Symmetra, Web.com, even a mini tour event in your own backyard. Uh, one of the things you, that you will see in a telecast not necessarily on the golf course, but at the practice facility, and Golf Channel does a really good job of this now, is showing golfers on the range or in the short game area or on the putting green. Pay attention to the discipline, especially during the tournament round days prior to going out, the discipline that these professionals have and how they prepare. Um, that's something I always point out. I always also always point out that they'll show someone on the range after the, after their round, they may be a little bit more calmer. Uh, they may be a little bit more loose in their appearance. They may be carrying on more conversations, but look at the discipline that they use in their station setup, whether it's alignment sticks or other swing aids that you're using Look at the interaction that they have with their coaches. It's not a one-way thing. It's a dialogue. It's a two-way conversation. Uh, those are the very first things I point out about telecasts or when I bring someone to a tour event, uh, that kind of discipline that's going on. From a watching the tournament itself, what I find most interesting and I always highlight to clients is if the audio is good, the conversation between caddy, player, uh, and how decisions are made uh, at that level, which you have to understand the skill level is within microcosms of each other. It's who's on that week or that day that ends up being the winner holding the trophy. But the decision-making process is very similar in that decisions are being made based on what the player can do given the situation, not necessarily what they're trying to avoid doing. Uh, to Peter's uh, extent, uh, comment earlier about being positive with a good attitude and making the effort. That's what you see in those kinds of conversations is that they're talking positively. The attitude's always about uh, achieving something, not avoiding something. And that's a big difference between the amateur and the professional. 
professionals don't avoid unless they absolutely have to. They're always trying to achieve. And you can you can find those things out and not have to be so technical with swing vision or any of the other slow-mo things that are put on there because those guys, those guys swing differently than you. Uh, if you look at the things they do from a strategic standpoint of view, preparation, discipline of practice, how they make their decisions, you can immediately employ those things into your game and and you not be so dependent upon a technical improvement. You you can see immediate results from those things. Great, uh, uh, great uh, response to that uh to that uh, question. Thank you, John. Um, Peter, something else too, I think that, uh, and I'm sure you agree with, uh, with a lot of what John has just said, and, and I know you have some, some other thoughts as well, but I think one of the other things too, Peter, that you might want to, um, you know, certainly point out uh, and just sort of food for thought, but, you know, what you often hear the professionals in a tournament, and of course, when we get close enough and they're, um, you know, close to the, the cameras and the mics, and you hear them talking, as John pointed out, with their caddy. The one thing you don't hear them do, which a lot of amateurs do, uh, when they're faced with a situation where there may be a hazard um, or uh, you know some other uh, might be a fairway bunker, or it could be some other uh, obstacle that they have to navigate. Um, what you don't hear the professionals saying, "Oh gosh, you know, look, there's a, a bunker over there. I, I just don't want to get in it." You will always ask them, you know, what's the yardage to carry that hazard or that uh, obstacle that they're they're looking to get around or whatever. You always hear them put a positive spin on. In other words, they're not looking at it as trouble. They're looking at what they need to do. What are your thoughts on that? And and uh, please feel free to add any other uh, comments as far as what you would do if you were sitting down with some of your uh, collegiate students uh, watching uh, this weekend's event. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I agree a, a lot of what John said. Um, you know, we could really use some more commentary on, I think, there were, you know, truthfully, I would tell people to mute the television, no offense to anybody, um, you know, and just look and <laughs> draw your own conclusions for yourself. Um, but, right. you know, the biggest thing, you know, to answer your first question, um, you know, it's a lot of what I work on my competitive players with is just where they want the ball to go. Right. That's it. That's, you know, you, you know, and I had this conversation today with one of my players that's kind of moving into the competitive realm as, as a, as a 68 year old man, you know, and he's just kind of made this decision. He told, you know, his, some of his friends that he played golf with, you know, they, they registered for the super senior, you know, state amateur and they just said it was fun. It was good environment. And, you know, we're talking about the difference between, you know, an amateur golfer that, you know, can do this and what the competitor golfer golfer is doing. And, you know, I just explained to him, I said that the competitive golfers just think about where they want the ball to go. They're not getting over the ball and they don't have this, 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 and this thought they're getting up there with as much confidence as possible and just are laser focused on where, right. And that, and that they're basically just in not in a sense of willing it there, but they're just, that's their mindset. That's it. And, you know, you're, when a player, when a, uh, a a golfer or someone viewing on, at home is listening in on that conversation, they're just getting dialed in. They're just dialing in mm-hmm. exactly where, and they have they've yeah. seen that green. They have that spatial awareness. Okay, this is where the flag is. This is where this is where I want to land the ball. This is this is you know right. this is why it's going to work. That's the focus. That's they're just 
consuming information, you know, consuming the data, getting, you know, getting the picture in their head and they're just thinking about where. Um, you know, if I'm sitting with a, a competitive group of golfers or, you know, just some of my members, you know, the, the conversation is always very real, um, you know, and it, it doesn't go to the swing very often. People talk about just, you know, they're massively impressed with, A, how good they are. You know, they, they have you right. know, some of the players that maybe played some of these places that they've played and know how undulating that green is or, you know, how small that green might be or how small exactly that landing area might be and how just they're, it seems like they're just dropping balls out there when they're hitting driver. Um, but, you know, they, it's gotten to the point where, you know, that, that swing vision piece is kind of an afterthought now. It's kind of, you know, that doesn't have people's attention as much as it, it once did. You know, you're, you're obviously yeah. going to have your, your swing junkies out there that just love that <clears throat> stuff that really want to, you know, the amateur golfer that really wants to sit there and dissect it and, you know, takes that time right. and really get, have fun <laughs> with that. And that's great. But, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I always tell this to everybody. And then a telecast, you're only seeing the good shots. And then on Saturday and Sunday afternoon, you're only seeing the really good shots that only matter for the 10 people that are in contention. You don't see, you know, and I share with them, I say my favorite moment of all time on a telecast was during a a U.S. Open a few years ago. And they they had TrackMan on Steve Stricker and he hit a hosel shank over into the yep. into the woods and it traced it. I was like, you, you'll never see yep. that again. You, you'll never see that again, right. but that's very real. <laughs> you don't see the person that's yeah. playing in a PGA tour event that skulls a ball over the, you know, what, or, you know, over the green into the crowd, unless they do it on us, the last group on Sunday. Um, there's just yep. a large number of, a large number of shots that you don't see on a telecast. So, yeah. and I always tell them to keep that in mind and they say, oh yeah, you're right. So it's, you really have to, <laughs> you know, make it a little more realistic for them and, and say, this is, this is really has a pretty good filter on it. So it's, it, it, some can, sometimes can be a really teachable moment as to, you know, how people can react to either good or right. bad shots. You know, you see the tour players just not react too, too much or not at all. And they're saying, okay, that's what just happened They're As they're walking to the ball, they're just formulating a plan on how they're going to tackle the next shot. They don't really, okay, that happened. Now we're going to w- move on. We're going to the next shot. What am I going to do to get back into where I need, I feel like I need to be. That's the conversation that I really do have with people. And you watch, you know, their approach, their overall mindset, their overall, you know, demeanor while they're out there, they're just hitting shot after shot and doing the same thing over and over and over again um, until the round's over, you know, and a lot of times you'll, they'll be in the press conference afterward and they'll say that they don't remember a whole lot of the, the round, if, especially if they really played well, they don't remember a lot of it <clears throat> and they'll make <clears throat> sparse comments here and there. Cause they genuinely don't, <clears throat> don't remember, you know, <clears throat> It's interesting. It really is. Right, exactly. Well, and, and you know, just to, to add a little bit to that, you know, what, what's – and you, you really touched on this, Peter. Um, what I find very interesting, and I, I always – when I have an opportunity to, 
to uh, do just what we're talking about with, um, you know, uh, some of the corporate people that I've worked with. You know, one thing I always like to point out to them is, you know, when the player has decided uh, or formulated the shot that they want, um, I particularly bring their attention to it when they miss the shot, when they don't pull it off exactly the way they want it. There's not an unraveling of that player uh, over the next three holes, talking about, gosh, I can't believe I missed that. And as you said, Peter, they walk off uh, and they focus on the next shot at hand. Now, at the end of the round, when they go back to the range, they might recall some shots here and there, uh, and they may work on some some glitches that may have uh, creeped into their swing throughout the round. But they're not dissecting those bad shots while they're out there. They're in tournament mode, and that's how they're going to stay until that round is over. Then they're going to go and work on some of the issues that they may have experienced uh, earlier on that, that particular day. And this is something that I think a lot of you amateurs out there that are tuning in tonight really need to pay attention. Uh, we understand you're not going to uh, hit every shot uh, perfectly, um, but you need to, to stay focused in, in the game. And I think if you do that, that's going to lead to more fun as well. I think if you get too caught up, uh, guys, in, in all of the uh, you know unfortunate things that are going to happen, and Peter, as you pointed out, with, with the best of players out there that we don't see on television, we see you know occasionally a few bad shots, but for the most part we're seeing uh, you know, the, the best shots uh, that are being played, uh, and especially as the, the rounds uh, continue on, as you said, get into Saturday and Sunday, uh, we're seeing sort of the best of the best. And occasionally they might throw in, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a bad shot, but uh, they're certainly not going to focus on a player that's, you know, um, unless they're the leader, uh, that's collapsed, uh, you know, that's gone out first thing in the morning and he's already uh, in at the clubhouse and had a bad round. They might hi- highlight it later in, in uh, the telecast a little bit, uh, but they're not going to focus on that. So most of our amateur players don't see everything. Um, and, and I think you guys both raised some, some great points. Um, well, guys, as, as always, we've, uh, I think, had a very interesting discussion. And uh, I know we didn't get into a lot of specific technique, but I think uh, we certainly provided a lot of meat, if you will, uh, for our amateur golfers out there to, to really think about uh, before they tee it up the next time. And some of the things that they need to, to focus on and what really matters and I think if you want to go out there and have some fun, I think what uh, both John and Peter talked about tonight uh, will serve you well, much more than just uh, working on uh, the fundamentals alone. Um, guys, as always, I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, share with the listeners if, uh, if they want to reach out to you or, or want to follow you, um, how they can uh, go about doing that. Uh, Peter, if you want to go first, and then John. Sure. Uh, Ted, again, thanks for having me on. And John, thanks for sharing some time with me again. It's always great to be on with you. Um, uh, you can find me at um, my website is gogolfcoach.com. Um, Instagram's kind of become my main platform that I use, and I'm uh, at dailygolf.coach. Um, and I'm always just happy to send me a DM. Uh, send me a message on Facebook, whatever I can do for you. I'm just happy to have a conversation with you. And if you happen to want to get together, um, have you up to Deconic Golf Club. It's an extremely special place. It's the second-ranked uh, university course in the country. Um, and we do a lot of work on course. I do have a daily program that might work for everybody. So, um, again, my website is gogolfcoach.com. And, uh, Ted, John, thanks, guys. All right. Appreciate it, Peter. Thank you, as always, for uh, 
for joining us here on the Coach's Corner and uh, always bringing your best. Um, John, what about you for the folks that uh, are tuning in that maybe want to reach out to you as well uh, and uh, pick your brain a little bit more, or maybe uh, swing by uh, your neck of the woods down in Orlando for, uh, for maybe some, uh, some good coaching or a few golf lessons. Uh, how can they go about doing that? Sure. Uh, first off, Peter, Ted, always an honor to be on with you guys. And it, I always learn something, take a little nugget home myself. Uh, anybody can reach me. It's real easy. John Hughes Golf Weather. It's my website.com, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at, uh, there, it's always labeled johnhughesgolf.com. Uh, you can visit me at Falcons Fire in the Kissimmee area of Orlando. That's where I'm, that's my main headquarters. I'll be announcing a second facility here for the spring, not to, not in the not to, distant future uh still working on some details there that i'm really excited about and you can also get catch me on youtube i'm starting to put a lot on youtube uh, as far as just simple easy nuggets you can do in the house or doing your next practice session that'll help you play a little bit better but as always ted honor very appreciate very much appreciate the ability to get on once a month and, and help people out and grow the game well, uh, guys, as I've, I've said so many times, thank you for giving of your time. Um, just to, to let the uh, listeners know, these guys uh, give freely of their time uh, in, in many cases, as John and Peter do once a month, and uh, like to share their expertise and their experience with you. And it's not always easy when they've got to rush home from the golf course and have other uh, little household chores, as John did earlier uh, this evening uh, before they jump on air with me. So I appreciate it as always, guys, and, and keep up the great work, and, and thank you uh, again for always bringing your best. So, guys, have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the uh, PGA Championship. Uh, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, watch some great golf this weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Good night. All right. That was uh, John Hughes and Peter Agazarian, uh, both of the uh, Coach's Corner panel uh, professionals that were on this evening uh, always enjoy having them on the show and uh, as I said uh, they always uh, manage to to bring their best uh, I'm going to be joined here in just a moment by my very special guest uh, international PJ touring professional uh, golf professional Horace Brown uh, coming on first time and uh, actually was introduced uh, to him through uh, a very good friend of mine who uh, was actually a guest uh, last week Byron Casper they've known each other for for many, many years, and we'll ask him about that a little bit when he comes on air uh, here in just a moment or two. But let me just remind everybody before uh, I bring my, my special guest this evening on, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And for those of you that uh, are here for the first time, thank you and welcome uh, for joining us here uh, on the network. And uh, best way to uh, circulate around and, and let everybody else know uh, how to go about finding us is go to blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live or just simply type in golf talk live uh, on the uh, search key and that will take you to the main page and of course we're front and center every thursday uh, during the live broadcast uh, but you can uh, tune in later if it's not convenient for you to join at this particular time maybe you're working or maybe you're uh, finishing up around in the golf course or you might be even watching the pga championship tonight uh, you can listen to the show at uh, your convenience, just go to that link and scroll down to the on-demand section and you can hear the recorded version a little bit later on uh, uh, this evening uh, or whenever it's good for you. Uh, you can also go to uh, some other great social media platforms, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now this year, TuneIn.com. And again, just type in Golf Talk Live 
and that will take you to uh, those respective media platforms. Uh, don't forget to join me also on Tuesday mornings on the Women of Golf Show with my good friend and co-host, LPJ professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller, as we uh, interview some of the great up-and-comers from the Symmetra Tour, many of the winners, uh, and just some of the great young ladies that are out there battling it uh, to earn their LPJ um, uh, membership uh, later uh, for uh, 2019, excuse me. Uh, they're all in the Volvic race for their cards, and uh, we've had some of the top players uh, from this season uh, on the show on Tuesday morning. So uh, remember, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com, and this time put forward slash women of golf, or again, just type women of golf uh, in the search key, and that will take you there. And it's also available on uh, the other three social media platforms as well, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and uh, TuneIn.com. So make sure you uh, tune in and join Sydney and I as we talk with some of the great uh, young up-and-coming professionals on the Symmetra Tour and LPJ, as well as some great uh, other uh, female uh, professionals, uh, not uh, necessarily players, uh, but business professionals that use golf as a valuable tool in helping them uh, achieve the success and uh, uh just do so many great things to give back to their communities. All right, as I mentioned, I, I've got a great guest on uh, this evening, and I'm going to bring him out here right away because we've got lots to talk about. So uh, help me welcome my very special guest this evening, international uh, PGA Touring Golf Professional, Mr. Horace Brown. Good evening, Horace, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thank you very much. Uh, Horace Brown here at Radio Picks. Uh, congratulations on the Golf Talk Live, and uh, we're very proud, and I, I thank you for giving us the consideration of being on your show. And uh, Brian Kastner is a very good friend of ours, the whole nine yards, and we just love Billy Kastner. He's one of the all-time greats. But anyway, as it turns out, uh, well, congratulations on your success in the whole nine yards, and you're you're in for a whole show right now. How far do you want to go back? Oh. <laughs> Well, we're going to go back a little ways here, and, and what I want to do uh, just uh, very briefly, as I mentioned, um, Byron, of course, was uh, uh, my very special guest last week on the show, and and uh, I obviously reached out, and, and I've been watching you. As, as, uh, just let me uh, step back just for a second, just to let the, the listeners know. Horace and I have actually talked uh, the last couple of evenings on the phone, uh, off air, of course, uh, in, in preparation for tonight. And, uh, of course, we're both uh, very familiar with Byron Casper and, of course, uh, his late father, uh, Billy Casper, who, of course, was a legendary in the game and won uh, over 51 tournaments uh, around the world, including uh, a couple of majors. And uh, was just a, a, just a great gentleman, and uh, so that's kind of how uh, Horace and I have uh, have come to know one another. Uh, what I want to talk about here is, is a couple of things, Horace. Uh, first and foremost, uh, just to let the folks know, you were born in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, back in 1962, and uh, but really have spent uh, a lot of your life growing up in a beautiful San Diego, California. Um, now I know you began playing golf at a very very early age. Um, tell us first of how young you were when you started to play and who helped sort of steer you, if you will, or navigate you out on the golf course? Well, that's a great question, uh, and uh, actually it's, it's my father, like uh, my dad was an astronaut, I'll be an astronaut, but my dad was a golfer, and we are from Charleston, South Carolina, and it's what a beautiful place, and we actually grew right down the street from Charleston Country Club. My dad actually built a, a six-year-old golf course Back there in the fifties in the whole nine yards, and uh, I had a chance to see that. But uh, the kindred is this here, Todd. Uh, uh, not only playing golf, just being uh, 
disciplinary uh, faculty of, of something so great. You know, my dad actually caddied for Frank Stranahan that won the 1936 Masters in the whole nine yards. And Charleston is basically the birthplace of golf in in America. So a lot of people don't realize that, but uh, that's the way it is. Right. But, uh, but he, that inspired me to play golf, and uh, it teaches you how to be a true gentleman, a true gentleman. And that's mm-hmm. what we profess as far as our Junior Golf Foundation is concerned. And you know what? The difference makes a big difference, a very big difference with, with, with the person that, that uh, not a person, but only people and, and kids. And it, the, kids is, the kids is the next, the next generation, and it teaches them a little bit more to mathematics. You know, golf is a very hard sport to learn. Yeah, so I'm very blessed with right. that. So I have to be attribute towards uh, to my dad right now. Okay. You know, well said, uh, Horace. And, and I want to point out for for those that that maybe not uh, familiar with your father. Your father was was uh, one of the, uh, of course, the many pioneers um, uh, back uh, in the uh, 50s and 60s. Of course, uh, he played alongside greats like uh, PJ greats like El- uh, Lee Elder. Uh, Charlie Sifford, and of course, legendary uh, prize fighter Joe Lewis uh, on the UGA, uh, what was at that time called the UGA Negro Golf Tour, uh, and enjoyed uh, getting out there and playing some competition. I want you to touch a little bit on that, um, how important that was, um, and how your father and the other gentlemen that I mentioned, and of course, there were many others, uh, Teddy Rhodes, who who I've uh, talked about on the show with uh, his daughter Peggy Rhodes, uh, and talked about how important uh, your father and these other gentlemen that I've mentioned uh, in really spearheading um, the development, if you will, through that tour to help young African-American golfers, much like current Tiger Woods, uh, really giving them a chance and introducing to them a game that at one time was not available to them. No, absolutely. I, I think in the early 40s, late 40s, early 50s, and then you, you left out a name, Jackie Robinson. He was He's a heck of a golfer yes, too as well. Yes, he actually, he, he ran track and football and baseball, and he, he actually played golf for UCLA. And uh, my dad had a chance to meet him down there in Florida, in the whole nine yards. And uh, as far as the uh, ethnicity is concerned, it's, it's, it's just about just being a, a, a perfect gentleman. These guys back in the 40s and 50s are perfect gentlemen, unlike uh, sometimes of right. today. Now, uh, with kids, just they, they don't they just don't get it. You know, I mean, a gentleman means to to, to to be the best you can be, you know. Actually, uh, I'm sitting right here in front of my father right now, and uh, I welcome him. Just said, I cannot tell the story the way he can, you know. I've come from Charleston, South Carolina, playing on the, the Chitlin circuit, you know, with uh, Teddy Rhodes and uh, Lee Elder and and uh, things of that nature. And then uh, I, he told me one thing when I was four years old that. Uh, Billy Eckstein, you know, he had a, he had a little bit of money in his pocket. And golf is all about money. If you don't have the money, you can't play golf. And uh, the whole nine yards. Right. So he chose one other person, you know, Billy Eckstein. He was a fabulous, sing, fabulous singer, gentleman. And my dad messed up by one spot. Like, oh my goodness, I just I need to fill that shoe, you know. And uh, actually, in certain ways, along the conversation, we will. But uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen in the radio world, this is Gordon Brown, senior. Introduce yourself, Dad. Hello, Todd. Yeah. I'm I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well, Mr. Brown. How are you this evening? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing. 
I want to thank you for giving the opportunity. I'd like well, to give I'm, a, I'm honored to have. Well, Go ahead. thank you very much. Uh, I have I have a historical background in golf and history. I'm 82 years old and I've been playing golf for 73 years. I began playing golf mm. at a very young age, and what happened was that my family on James Island, just outside of Charleston, owned quite a quite a bit of property. So we utilized some of that property. To, to set up and make our own golf driving range. So we, we dug a hole in the ground, put a stake into it, put a flag on the stake, and we began to hit from uh, what we did was that we, we used water and mixed so we had dirt peas instead of regular wooden peas. So that's and right. the reason why we, we had any golf clubs at those days is that my father's relative, he was the caddy master of Charleston Country Club back in the 30s and well, mm-hmm. back in the 40s. And he brought home some golf clubs, and when, when he went to work, then his nephew decided that they would bring it outside so that we could learn how to swing and hit a golf ball. But my, right, my exactly. Story takes, my story take me, take me a little bit further than that. I, was, I played baseball, football, basketball, field and track, but I was too small to play those physical <clears> sports so. I decided that the best thing for me to do was, as short and small as I was, I need to work on this golf game. <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> so it means that when I was growing up, and at the age of 12, I bought my own set of golf clubs from a company named Advance. And what happened was that I was able to start, I got so good at such a young age, I was able to compete against older players for real money. And, you know, when you play a dollar Nassau or two dollar Nassau, you got to have no less than 20 or 30 dollars in your pocket. <laughs> but right. I became so good. <laughs> and what they did was that they allowed me to travel to Wilmington, North Carolina. And from James Island to Wilmington, North Carolina, it's 120 miles one way. But those guys were really, really gentlemen, and I really appreciate them giving me an opportunity to <clears> compete with them. But that's what I did, and that's how I learned to play the great game of golf. Absolutely worth well, looking at. Well, I thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you for sharing that. Let me just ask your father if I can, real quick, and then and then Horace, you and I will move on uh, with our discussion. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Brown, I want to ask ask you one question. Uh, of all of the uh, players, uh, whether it be Lee Elder or Charlie Sifford and, and uh, many of the others that you played with, who was the, fi- who was the fiercest competitor of, of all the players that you played with at that time? Well, the thing about it is that Pete Brown. Pete Brown, I played Pete is from, from Mississippi, but Pete was the head pro at age 16 or 17 at this all-black gospel in Mississippi. But then when I began to right. play on and the tournament, the, the organization that I played with mostly, and it was called the Ray Mitchell Invitation in Miami, Florida. And the the uh, the regular United Golf Tour did not come into the South. It stayed on the East Coast. So it meant that I never really right. got a chance to play on, on that golf tour. But all those guys that would have played on the East Coast came to Miami because Miami was such a beautiful place, and it was, the area was called Miami Springs. I played with, at one time, and won one of the tournament in, my, in Miami Spring. I played with Willie Brown, Howard Brown, Gordon Brown, and, and, and Pete Brown. 
But the best player mm-hmm. of them all was Pete Brown. Pete Brown, and wow. he was the best jumper I ever played in my life when playing golf. You taught my respect and how to show appreciation and how to talk to you, how to preach, how to, how to treat you. Pete was the best. And you know that Pete won the first PGA tournament, the 1964 Waco, 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 Waco Open. Open. Then he won the 1970. Oh, wow. Uh, San, San, Diego, San Diego Open. San Diego Open. <laughs> right. so, I mean, and then he won the Coronado yeah. Open just before that. So, but the best one of them all that know how to treat you and how to, and was so great and polite was Pete Brown. Yeah, and uh, I had a chance wow. to watch, watch him one time, uh, uh, I seen him, and he was very quiet, and, and I, you know, I had a chance at 10 years old, I think it was 1972, when I seen him on number four, Torrey Pines, and, and Jack Nicholas uh, actually finished second or third, and that's what the reason why Jack Nicholas redesigned Torrey Pine himself because he said he's not going to come back if anybody can win. But uh, yeah, our family, uh, uh, Pete Brown, he won that event. Uh, you know, and we're not talking about African American. Yes, we are. But on top of that, things need to be said and inundated. You know, I'm not going to bite my tongue on right. anything that uh, I believe in. You know what I'm saying? So just bring it straight forward and true. You know, so uh, with my dad, that is his historical. He's being very humble. You know, he actually played golf for the Army. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he won the Fort uh, uh, Fort Leroy Johnson tournament with the trophy still right here in Overall Moody, uh, Overall Moody <coughs> on the U.S. Open. And my dad was was, was basically kicking his butt. <laughs> no, no, no. say thank you, Mr. Brown, for sharing uh, a little bit of your history uh, with, with my audience. Um, Horace, I, I want to just, I, I'm going to read through some things here, and then I, I just want to get sort of your response. Uh, we'll move forward a little bit. You, you know, you began really playing competitive golf uh, at a very early age, at age nine, and then a little bit later on, you went on to win over 57 junior golf tournaments uh, in your career at that time. In fact, uh, you were actually known as Tiger before Tiger uh, in, in the junior golf circuit. Uh, you went and you went on to win uh, his age division uh, five different times, and uh, you were actually celebrated as the San Diego uh, County Junior Golfer of the Year in 1980, alongside some very notable names like Phil Mickelson, uh, Charlie Hoffman, Scott Simpson, uh, Pat Perez, and, and obviously a host of other PGA greats. So you obviously were able to develop – a very strong, uh, uh, I guess, attraction not only to the game, but an ability very at a very early age. What do you think attributed? What did you do to help some of our amateur golfers out there when you were playing junior golf? What did you focus on that helped you to be able to have such a, a, a phenomenal junior career? Well, you know, uh, thank you, uh, I, I, I attribute that towards uh, God, number one, and uh, 
we have a family of four professional golfers. My sister played in the U.S. Open the whole nine yards, Ada Brown. Her book is out right now. It's called Building of a Champion. And on top of that, uh, mm-hmm. so we went out and played, and my dad is so disciplined. He, My dad actually went to work uh, at 3 o'clock in the evening, came back at 12, and had to get up and play with the San Diego Chargers in the whole nine yards. I think he only had like four hours to sleep. And so my attribution towards success was watching my dad just being a man. It taught me how to be a man, you know, and uh, being right. very respectful. Matter of fact, I could not wait until I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning. So we, when he went out with his man, management group to play golf, he left me in the putting green and chipping green for hours and hours and hours. When Once he turned the back nine, then I would follow him, hop in the cart, and then after that I got a hamburger. That was my reward. So I practiced hard. I gave it, I, I dedicated my whole life to the winning yards. As far as being the best, winning my age division five times, 10 and under, 11 and 12, 13 14, and being ranked the top 10 in the world, you know, uh, which is uh, remarkable, you know, along with the uh, the high school attributes, you know, and and uh, growing up alongside uh, with people named Phil Mickelson, Pat Perez, we had we had people like Billy Casper and uh, you know uh, uh, Chet uh, Chet Courtney and things of that nature that led me even go even beyond that and play golf for San Diego State you know and to become the first African American to varsity at San Diego State and you know it's like it's not like being a first black man going to the moon. But the thing is, the thing was, the thing, the dedication, my drive is my dad. He taught me how to be a man, and my mom taught me how to be a man and be humble in the whole nine yards. And so I couldn't wait to collect the trophies. At that, at that time, mm-hmm. at that time, Todd, you know, 1970s, early 70s, it was un, it was so unlikely to to be African American and play this this beautiful game called golf because at that time. You know, it was basically, you know, I'm not going to paint a picture. It's a lily, a lily white sport. And my dad gave golf right. lessons to Mandilly. And uh, he says, why don't you get your kids in the San Diego Junior Golf uh, uh, Association? So after that, he was like, well, the kids, let's go. And uh, and then, then we did. So I won 10 and under, 11 and 12 twice, 13 and 14. And then on the, on the last day of the Junior World, man, I topped the ball. I topped the ball on the last on the last round, and I, I lost by four shots. But that's not going to be inundated mm. or it, it, I forgot to put under the rug, but I played my little butt off there, you know. And, uh, you know, to be recognized, <laughs> no, not recognized. All you have to do is just go ahead and Google me, man, or just Facebook me at the San Diego uh, uh, Horse Ground in the whole nine yards. But, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not it, I'm not one to dwell in the past, you know, but my thing is like this. Right. I'm, I'm like, hey, I want I want to I want to think about the future because back then was then now is now the doors are open kids are right. hitting about the golf clubs are, are greater I seen we have one of our students in our, our foundation uh, Valentina she's 13 years old hits the ball like 280 yards hit them then down the middle wow. yeah, so, you know so the hmm. opportunity is still there you know and golf is such a great sport and it teaches such humanity you know how to be polite. I mean, you can go to any country in the world and just talk to a person and just, you know, like my dad says, put up or shut up, man. It, once you put that ball in a the hole, there's nothing that you can say after that. You know, just put the numbers on the board. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's right. philosophy, man. 
It, it doesn't take sponsorship. Right. That's, it does because you know you have to practice, you have to buy balls, you have to do this, that, and you know with the I I'm, I'm feeling that the last 30, 40 years, you know that the major golf corporations could have set aside a point to the point where hey listen our next generation will come up, but they didn't. That's the reason why they lost 975 million dollars because of the fact that. We can't even go to the Olympics and get our, our butts our butts white down there in Brazil, right? you know what I'm saying? And right. the reason was, the reason is like that's because you know it, it, golf was a country club sport and it still is. And it, I, I was in San Diego, but on top of that, you you have to address the main position, the main issue. Our future, the the children yeah. are our future. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, yep. you know, I, yeah. I don't hate to say it, I'm saying it. The Koreans, they understand that. They come here and yep. they have 30, 40 kids. If you want to play golf, we're going to sponsor you. But in, in in America, if you want to play golf here, they're like, well, you're on your own. You got to pay. How, how is the kid going to pay for golf shoes, golf clubs, golf balls, uh, a membership, this thing, yeah. that thing? You're coming out the hood. It's not going to happen. So, therefore, not, not yeah. going to the Exactly right. 
there, there certainly is a disconnect. Um, Horace, I just want to, I just want to read out a couple of things, just more for the for the audience, just to get a better understanding. And then there's some things I specifically that I want to talk to you about. Uh, you already touched on, of course, your high school career uh, and how you uh, really uh, amassed one of the, the the highest, best high records uh, in the history of San Diego. Uh, and it just uh, it goes on and on and on. Uh, then you attended uh, San Diego University, where you studied business admin, and uh, while making the men's varsity golf team as a freshman, uh, you were a medalist in eight uh, NCAA uh, college matches. Uh, while your your coach, Dr. Frank Scott, was inducted into the NCAA Coaches Hall of Fame in, back in 1982, so you've had a very good junior, uh, certainly a high school, and then onwards to a uh, a very uh, strong collegiate career as well. So obviously, golf was was very uh, important to you and played a, a key role in in uh, much of not just your youth but in your your teenage and into your young adult years and as you transition into the next phase uh it's is just as important um i want to get to the foundation in a moment but i want to ask you uh one other thing uh about your your coach at that time back in in uh, san diego university dr frank scott what did you learn from him specifically, and how did he help uh, propel you? Uh, what advice did he give you, and what conversations did you have, to, uh, generally speaking, that has helped you to get to where you are now? Well, you know, I mean, uh, thank you, Todd. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's, 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 it's an elevation, you know, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll reset point, you know, as far as going to La Jolla High School, Growing up here in the so-called ghetto and catching a four bus at 4.30 in the morning to play La Jolla Country Club and being captain of the team for three years and playing La Jolla Country Club, which is was strictly off limits for African-Americans and becoming number one and winning CIF and the only person in San Diego history to win three city high school championships, that's inundated. And then uh, the, the, the superseding that, you know, I said, hey, listen, this, this is a great uh, career. And then being recruited by 27 different colleges, including UCLA, and then have people lose my transcripts from Wake Forest to Stanford to whole nine yards and then the whole nine yards. I had uh, Frank Scott coming to our house, which my dad was recruited in 1962, with Chuck Courtney and Gene Littler to whole nine yards. And, and I and I you know I, I feel bad about it to this day. I said I, I turned it down. I wish I would have said yes, you know, because he had our back. But you know, then after that, it, it became a it became a landslide. If you turn down, if you turn down this, and then turn out. But my dad was recruited by Frank Scott when he first came here to, uh, from Charleston to San Diego, and so therefore I, I I felt that I need to fulfill his shoes and his dreams. And you know what I did? I walked on the team as a freshman. I varsity, Greg Twigs won the Centennial Open. Matter of fact, uh, 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 our top six, he won the U.S. Club of Links. It was a tough team to get onto and on top of that. So what attribute, uh, uh, the attributes uh, towards my success, you know, through college and high school was determination, dedication, practice, every day getting up this whole nine yards, and not saying no. Just say you can do that. Right. That's my anthology. You know, right. I'm never going to say I'm not going to get in pulling right now, you know. On top of that, so but to answer your question right there, uh, it's like that. That was a, a drive for me to fill my dad's shoes to play for golf for San Diego State and did a hell of a job. Yeah, 
well, kudos to you. Congratulations on 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 doing that. Um, I want to listen. I mean, it's uh, you know, we're speaking about African Americans, but to to play since uh, 1895 at Senegal State University to be the only African American to varsity of golf, that's quite an attribute, you know. And right, right, exactly. that's the reason why we started the inner city junior golf, not black, white, Mexican, whatever have you, you know, to give the, the children a chance to let them know that the, their dreams can become true. You know, since 1895, yeah. I mean, over 120 years, I'm the only African-American that ever played golf in any state. And I did a good job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, so, yeah. And, and let me bring, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, let me yeah, let me just uh uh so the audience gets a, a little bit of a better understanding of, of what you were just talking about. Uh you and your father started the San Diego Inner City Junior Golf Foundation, uh and uh you've you've actually helped over five thousand students uh through uh, uh eleven elementary schools in uh National City, California. And the foundation has given out more than $120,000 in scholarships helping students to graduate uh, from major colleges and universities. What I want you to talk about, uh, Horace, if you wouldn't mind, with respect to the foundation, you obviously wanted to go into an area that traditionally was not accessible, um, and you wanted to be able to provide a way to give those that maybe didn't have, and again, uh, it's transcending all races. It's not limited to just African-American or Hispanic and, and so on, as you mentioned. Um, but it's really, uh, it, it's really more of a demographic of individuals who maybe didn't always have uh, the best of circumstances growing up in life. And you really have used this foundation to be able to reach to them. And you're also, as we talked about the other night, using golf as a vessel, if you will, to, to help give them a leg up and give them the same opportunities that you've been given, correct? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Todd. You know, let, let us start right here. Uh, actually, uh, uh, approximately 14, 15 years ago, we've been contacted to the National uh, uh, School uh, District to bring golf to the inner city. And uh, and we did. What we did, we turned their playground into a driving range in a putting green the whole nine yards. Right. Okay, with the tech, I think we're the first solution uh, that's ever done something like that, you know. And you know, I mean, you know, right? In, I, we live here in Southeast San Diego. I went to La Jolla High School, big deal. But there is, like in Southeast San Diego, there is not one golf course, being America's finest city, not one golf course within a within a 15 mile range. These kids, they live right. in a concrete jungle. I mean, how, how do they, they don't know about golf? If Tiger Woods doesn't come down, I mean, he's, Tiger's not going to cross that border, cross 805. <laughs> I mean, probably right. Tiger's not listening. <laughs> if he is, I can hear some words. What up, Tiger? <laughs> and then be back, man. Get back to the community. <laughs> You're right. But it's still, that's the reality. That's the truth. It's not going to happen because the, 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 the amount of money, the endorsements, the money, you're making millions of dollars. And I'm not, I'm not blaming Tiger. I'm not bringing Oprah Winfrey right. or, or, or uh, the, uh, Bill Cosby or Michael Jordan. But once you make it out the hood, you should come back and step back. I give golf lessons to one of the greatest running backs in the world, Terrell Davis, Ladanian Thomas Flynn, uh, Marcus Allen, all these guys. Once you leave the hood, 
you, you never come back. And that's wrong, you know. So yeah. my dad and I, what we did, we, we, we established the San Diego Inner City Junior Golf Foundation through our heart and our genuine dedication to make sure that these kids have any – because golf is, is, golf is not the only thing because we, we also right. – uh, life skills and college and, and, and with the hundred twenty thousand dollars, our last student just had he's a double major, through engineering and he's a lawyer. All right, that kind of stuff through USD. Mm-hmm. His name is Franco Garcia. He's black and uh, Mexican and Chinese, but he's very he's very brilliant and very very resilient and well spoken. Matter of fact, he came to our last uh, uh, proprietary tournament uh, called the USS Midway at. Uh, Warden Brown and Lawrence Chambers golf tournament, and he spoke very well. It's a kid sort of crying, right? That's what I'm about, you know. It's not about faking the fun. It's all about just, you know, just just touching the lives and hearts, you know. And 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 golf is golf is like this. If you don't have the money, you can't play golf. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. If you don't have the money, yep. don't play. How are you gonna turn pro? How are you going to turn pro if you don't have the money, if you don't get a scholarship? And then after you get a scholarship, then you need to get a sponsor. And then if you if you don't come from the elite 120, all right, that your parents got $100 billion in the bank, all right, and then uh, whatever, I you not to say that Justin Thomas is not like that, but I'm saying, but that's what happens, you know. I mean, you're not going to marry Wayne, Gretzky, uh, Wayne Gretzky's daughter uh, and be number one in the world. You know, that's the bottom line. Right. You know, so, you know, golf is, is you know, like, what, you, like you said, Pete Daniels, he says, yeah, you wrote this book called Uneven Lines, right? And yes. uh, I didn't book, but uh, it was, it, it was, it, it touched lightly, but he didn't put us, he didn't put the Brown family in the book, and we're, we're we are actually America's first golfing family. We have four kids, I, under scholarship from Senegal State, Avis, Avis Lawrence, Orrin Brown, Played for USIU, and my brother, uh, Captain Gordon Brown, played for Cal State Fullerton. How, uh, what, in, in the 70s, what are you guys? You know, so, uh, yeah, it's very, golf is very sentimental to me, as you can tell, and uh, I just can't right. wait to be the oldest rookie on the PGA Tour because I know what it takes, and I'm still in great shape, and I can hit the ball mildly, and I'm good looking. <laughs> you know, there you go. <laughs> Horace, let me let, let me ask you uh, a question because I, I want to move on to um, uh, your career as, as a golf professional. Um, you obviously, uh, for for many years, you played on on some of the mini tours, and you got uh, obviously some um, you know Monday qualifiers not for a number of years, and you got to play uh, you know with some some of the great players, and. I know that you, you – um, and I want you – obviously, we, we can't uh, – we don't have time to, to go through the whole uh, story, but you, you've had a, a chance to really travel the world. You've been to Fiji. You've been to, to Mexico and, and other parts as well with your golf career. Uh, and it's allowed you to see uh, really so many things that maybe uh, might not have happened uh, in, in other circumstances for a lot of folks out there. So golf obviously has brought you – uh, on a global stage, if you will, and has, and has helped to give you opportunities. So, as I mentioned earlier, as you progress through this next phase uh, of your career, 
you've got some specific goals in mind. You want to uh, uh, get out and play not only on the PGA Tour, but also on the PGA Champions Tour. Is that what is your focus now uh, as you progress and, and get out there and, and want to compete? What is your number one focus and what do you hope to accomplish? What would be a win for, for Horace Brown? Just, just getting back on tour. My, my, my main focus is right. Is, it's like this. I mean, just to say, just to win a Masters is not out of my scope. I'm very good. But uh, yeah, as a young kid, I did have a chance to travel the world. You know, I won the America's Cup in Canada and uh, uh, Hawaii, and then I had a chance to inter travel the world and live with uh, Vijay Singh's brother Krishna, and uh, I traveled to Paradise Tour down there for like four years. And, the thing that nature, and then uh, it was just fantastic, you know. But uh, you know, my my scope right now in reality with my age is not a detriment. You know, I you know I'm single, no kids, and I love golf. I'm married to a golf club, so you got to look for to look for me for being out there on 2019 PGA Tour. No matter what tour it is, <laughs> I'm good. You know, it, it it's 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 hard strong and. Uh, you know, it's just it's called it's called desire, dedication, and uh, and the belief in the Lord and Jesus Christ, my Savior. You know, and uh, and I'm totally cool with that. You know, so at least you tried. So my 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 theory is this: if you have something that you desire to do, never give up. Keep trying. If anybody tells you no, that means that they can't do it. Don't talk to me. I'm gonna do it. You know what I'm saying? So right. That's my dedication, that's my desire, that's my formidable place as far as being. And uh I mean I don't I don't see what's stopping me, to tell you the truth. You know, it's great. You know, I mean right. I loving mother and father now and, and the whole nine yards and they support me, all my friends support me, the whole nine yards and oh my goodness, it's like what it, it's gonna be a Walt Disney movie, you know, the kid that never gave up. <laughs> you know, Horace, uh, I want to uh, mention something uh, earlier on the uh, the first hour of my program. Uh, as I mentioned to you uh, the other night on the phone, uh, I have what's called Coach's Corner. It's a panel discussion with uh, some fellow uh, golf professionals. And one of the things that we talked about tonight, and you really, uh, without actually coming out and saying it, you really uh, led very beautifully into that. And it's really about attitude. I think a lot of people... Uh, in whatever it is you do in life, I think if you come in with a positive attitude and a belief in yourself, I think you can, you can accomplish, regardless of what the naysayers might tell you, uh, you can accomplish uh, really whatever you put your mind to. And, and you've got a goal and a vision of getting out and complaining. You enjoy uh, playing competitive golf. You've obviously done it very well, both as a junior and and in uh, high school and, and even collegiate. And, and now as you um, are in your 50s, uh, you want to get out there because you've still got that energy and that drive uh, and, and those competitive juices. Um, and But yet at the same time, you obviously want to be able to give back as you are with, through your foundation in that. Um, where do you see Horace Brown five years from now? What, where would you like to see Horace Brown five years from now? Uh, basically as a statue. <laughs> you know <laughs> But uh, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uh, being happy and uh, just making sure that I've done the best that I could do in the time that I've been allowed to do so, with my health and strength. And uh, I just, uh, I just praise, I just praise God for giving me the, the, the strength and the ability 
to go ahead and move forward with that. You know, it's so important. I, you know, I mean, uh, children. I mean, we have we have kids right now that, you know, I mean, watching these TVs and the internet. We're living in a fast-paced world right now, but they forgot about they forgot about yeah. the Lord. They forgot about the, the Christ. You know, and so they think that if you yeah. got some money, you can go buy anything. You can't you can't buy what my dad has taught me, basically. Yeah. Right. He taught love. He taught me integrity. He taught me showmanship. He told me how to be a gentleman, and I'm very classy. And uh, did I tell you I'm good looking too? <laughs> yeah, I think you. Yeah. Man, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you. I yeah, you, I think yeah, you mentioned I, that I, earlier. Whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, call me. <laughs> you know, but anyway, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, certain things that you cannot. You there's certain things that you you just can't receive, you know, I mean, without the power and the glory, you know, I'm saying you have to be yourself, you know, and, and I'm definitely, I'm definitely myself, you know, and I'm full of myself and I love, I love being myself and I'm, I'm very sure you'll see me on the PGA tour next year. How's that? I, I look play. forward to that. Absolutely, uh, Hor- Horace, absolutely. let me, yeah. I agree, and I look forward to that. Horace, let me ask you, uh, let's talk about, uh, for a few moments, let's talk about golf specifically. Um, you obviously are out, you play every day, you're, you're practicing every day uh, to, to you know, keep yourself in, in, in top, uh, uh, top form, if you will, on the golf course. If you were going to advise uh, the amateur golfers that are listening out there, because you've, you've played competitive, you've played at the highest level already uh, throughout your career, if you were to give them some advice on what they could do uh, as an amateur just to improve their game, what area of the game or what specifically would you have them focusing on uh, to get the most out of their game? Putting, putting, just putting, you know. I mean, just uh, my brother spends like uh, eight hours a day on the putting green. Uh, get it down to the point where you can't miss a four-footer. You know, and then work on your personality because golf doesn't like people with no dull personalities because your personality reflects if you miss a putt and you're going to get upset, you know. So the emotions really sets in, you know, as far as your attitude. Your attitude is your, attitude is your altitude, you know, it's how far you can go, how high you can go, or how low you can go. But when you're up, that's when you make a lot of – you know what I'm saying? You could drop a show, you could puff a dough, but at the last one, on the last win at Augusta, the person that makes a putt wins, you know, and I'm so proud yep. of Phil to watch him make them, them a couple putts and win it in the whole nine yards. And, and we had a great time growing up together with, with the whole nine yards. And, and, uh, I, it's, it's quintessential, you know what I'm saying? But there's a determination, there's a drive between each and every individual that, uh, you know, when they have it, you know, you know, the best, the best player I ever played with, his name was Tim Robinson. You know, he's number one for Stanford, and uh, we battled every time. But we couldn't wait to see each other to battle. But his attitude was the whole, the, the whole, the, the, the whole situation. He knew he was going to win. And when I talked the ball in my last hole, he won the junior world in front of me, man. <laughs> and and uh, but he's such a gentleman. Uh, on top of that, and I love him for the rest of my life. He's too cool. So any anything that I can say to an amateur is like this. Never give up, never give up. And, you know, like Mikey says, just do it. But, you know, my new slogan is like this, never give up, you know, and just keep trying. Yeah. You know, and find some junior corner in your life that, you know, that's going to be 
you know, uh, indelible to the point where, you know, you got some confidence. Because confidence exudes confidence, you know. And, uh, you know, as far as me winning my fifth county championship in front of Byron Gorman, he went on PGA Tour the next year. I just looked in his eyes. I know. I knew he was. I knew he was afraid. I hit a driver eight out on a par five, and then I had like a wedge in because I knew I, I knew what it takes to win. So I won it, you know. And uh, so, as far as me giving any advice to any amateurs, like this, you're not an amateur. You're a professional until you become an amateur. Right? Like Bobby Jones said, and listen, there's only one way to hit a golf ball. That's right down the middle. Exactly. Well, well said. Um, Horace, when you, when you look back, obviously, in addition to playing a lot of golf, you obviously have watched a lot of golf, uh, and I'm talking about on tour. Um, when you look at um, today's players uh, that are on the PGA Tour, we'll, we'll stick with the PGA Tour, uh, who impresses you? Uh, who are some of the ones that impress you the most, uh, and, and specifically why? Well, you know that's 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 a you know that's a tough question and because it's 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 not hard to just say that Tiger's you know he's the best but you know to this day and I'm being despondent uh, not to say that you know to this day on tour you know but I had a chance to watch my dad hit the golf ball I went to watch him man he had a driver's better block on number thirteen and knocked it on the green on the city amateur and that inspired me it really did. But as far as today's uh, conditions with the golf clubs, uh, overpowering the golf ball, uh, I'm looking at Dustin Johnson. You know, I mean, while he's, you know, and he has a putty, he has a short, he has a short game. The guy's good. You know, he's number one in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I'm really not too excited about certain names. I I, I should not say, but. Uh, but right. um, one that really, really just that just leaps out me at me is like Ricky Fowler. He can just win when he wants yep. to. You know what I'm saying? He just <laughs> he's a, he, he's against all odds. You know he's a little tiny kid, and he just he, he he's beating the Giants like Jack and the Beanstalk. You know I mean yeah, and guys, and he's got some style. He, he's got his own yeah, he's, he's got his own style as well too. <laughs> Like this, that he has personality. You know, a lot of these golfers yeah. don't have personality. They're very boring. Nobody wants to, you know. Ah, yeah, I did it. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, well, and that's I mean, yeah, right. And that's the difference, say, Horace. That's the difference. Yeah, I, 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 but I'm saying, you, you know, he needs he needs to wake up a little bit. He has no personality. <laughs> Sorry, serious. Right. Well, and that, and that's the, yeah, and that's the difference. Right. That's the difference, I think, between some of the earlier golfers during, uh, you know, the Billy Casper and the Jack Nicklaus and the Arnold Palmer and, and Gary Player days. Um, they all had very unique and different personalities. Um, and they, you know, and you got somebody like Elite Trevino who went out there and, you know, he was a bit of a jokester and a talker. And, and nowadays you, you get out there and it's more like uh, watching um, – you know, artificial intelligence. It's it's like you said. There's not a lot of personality. There are a few. Well, they raise the quiet sign when Lisa Vino comes out there. You gotta expect that. You know, so it took 50 years for right. Jack. <laughs> Jack, you're the player, and they're like, Lee, just be quiet, please. <laughs> but 
but he brings a, a different element and excitement to it. it. It should not be boring, you know. And uh, I, uh, it, it's as far as the element is of uh, surprise. As far as golf is a classy sport. Now, when you start talking about Billy Casper, classy individual, classy, yep. just, just straight classy, you know. And I'll I'll share the story with you. I mean, I was with I was with him at 1972. And I was the only little black kid out there, and my dad gave me 15 cents to buy a bag of Lay's potato chips and maybe a soda. Somebody, this is a long, long time ago, so that 15 cents went a long way. And then I had a junior right. card, and I <laughs> goodness, so I walked into the first tee, and and I was a little tiny kid. And then Billy Captain comes to the first tee, the last group. I said, I want to watch the final group. And he walked up there with uh, David Graham, and I, I'm not sure who the other guy name was, but a long a long ball knocker, and so Billy Castor just walked up to me and goes, hey, kid, are you looking at me? And the whole crowd just dispersed. I said, hey, yeah, you want to have a hot dog? I said, I said heck yeah. You know, I said, come on over. I said, but you're about to keep it all up. You're on the first team. You're about to... I'm not worried about that. We're, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the people, you know what I'm saying? So out of all the people, right. he, he, told, he put me up right there, and he put on uh, some mustard, some relish, and he goes, man, that's the doggonest dog I've ever dogged. And I just like, wow. I got like <laughs> son. And he walked to the first tee, and he smoked the ball down the middle like it was nothing. I'm like, man, I need to tell my dad that, right? So, so anyway, as far as inspiration, of just, just a classy, just a classy, like my dad, just straight class. They don't make them like that anymore. Just, just, just class, you know. Yeah. So one thing I would like to do to the children, especially through our foundation, show some class, show some tenacity, you know, show some some tact, you know, because this is where you, you come from, you know, and that's very important. And golf teaches you that, you know. I mean, it's uh, performance. Golf is not the only thing, you know. Life skills, mannerism, the whole nine yards, right. education, shifts, this whole nine yards, and that's what we're all about. So anybody out there in, in radio right. radio land that understands the San Diego Junior Golf uh, Academy and Foundation, you can find us on Facebook, and uh, therefore support us if you'd like to. If not, you can contact uh, Ted or Rico, and then we'll get you in contact with you. All right, and I'll be uh, happy to tee it up with you. All right, I had to throw in a little plug Sounds right there. Sounds good. Ted. <laughs> that, right. I, I go. love that. I love that. Well. As I yeah. said to you the other night, Horace, and and you and uh, thank you. And as I said to you the other night, you probably didn't believe me when I told you. I said this will be the fastest hour uh, it, that you've probably ever done in radio, and we're literally uh, just got a few minutes left. So, well, I, you know, and I mean, so if I'll, we have like, if, 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 if we have five minutes left, can you? Uh, please uh, uh, we got about four. We got about four minutes left. We got about four minutes left. Go ahead. Okay, so four minutes. Uh, Gordon Brown here. Ask him anything you want to know about golf. I want to know if, uh, and and this sort of goes to what I asked your uh, Horace uh, a little bit earlier. If you wanted to advise somebody that's never played the game, never really been exposed to the game what would be the first thing that you would say to them to get them interested in the game? Just never become real serious. It's not, golf is not your life and it's not your wife. So 
So what, what you want to do is that you want to make sure that you, you don't get too serious. You cannot get too serious. Now, hearts see it a little bit different. But in God, if you don't, if you don't maintain that level of consistency where you don't get too serious, because if you get too serious, then you don't have, you don't have it. The mind doesn't open, allow you to open up to really enjoy yourself while you play the game. Absolutely. Well, so in other words, yeah, well, yeah, well, well put, Mr. Brown. You actually, I think what you really said was uh, you want to go out and have some fun uh, and, and enjoy the game and not just uh, let it overwhelm you by getting too serious and down on yourselves when you don't play as well as you'd like to. Uh, well said, some great, uh, some great words of inspiration for a lot of the amateur golfers out there. Um, well, uh, Mr. Brown and, and of course, uh, your son, Horace, I want to thank the two of you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been very interesting, and I hate that our, our time's up, but uh, maybe I will have you back, uh, both back again uh, here uh, on a future show. But, um, Horace, again, if you want to just let the, the folks know uh, if they want to reach out to you and, and contact you, what's the best way to do that if they want to get more information, uh, not only about the foundation, but maybe uh, talk a little golf with you uh, uh, down the road. How can they go ahead and do that? Absolutely, you know I, you know I'm not invisible, but uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, our websites are are under construction right now. But you can reach us on on Facebook under San Diego Junior Golf Academy, right? And then we do have a donation page on on, on top of that, and then you can contact me as, as, as well, you know. So uh, we're we're very well placed. On top of that, and then uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and all, all, all nine yards. And I'm actually coming out with a uh, uh, instructional tooling aid for children and uh, introducing the game of golf with the perfect swing. It's called the Horace Brown Swing Trainer. So when that's when that's done, but anyway, you can go ahead and just reach out to me. And my number is six one nine 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 zero zero seven zero three. Let me say it again, right there. Six one nine 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 zero zero seven zero three. Call me anytime. Give me your golf story, because this is ours, and I appreciate you, and we love you guys, and thank you very much for this beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. Well, I I, I appreciate it to, to both of you for joining me tonight, and and Horace, I will have you back on, and we'll talk a little bit more. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, it, the hour goes by very quick. I'll have you back on, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the product that you've come out with and, and how it's going to be able to help uh, some of the youngsters out there be able to play this great game. And so we'll come, I'll have you back on, on a future show and we'll talk a little bit uh, about that as well. And, and, uh, and maybe along the way we'll get some updates uh, as you transition back out on tour uh, and play some competitive golf. So um, again, thank you very much uh, for, for joining me this evening. All right, uh, that was my very special guest uh, and his father, uh, Horace Brown, and his father, Gordon Brown Sr. I want to thank both of them for joining me tonight uh, on Golf Talk Live. Of course, uh, Horace is an uh, international PGA Touring professional, and he's uh, gearing up to uh, get out uh, for the uh, 2019 season. Uh, he's getting ready to uh, head out on the PGA and the uh, Champions Tour uh, and uh, get back into some uh, very heavy competitive golf. So we wish him all the, the best and, and the best of luck for that. Uh, also, a very special thank you to the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes and uh, Peter Egazarian. Thanks, guys, for doing uh, a great job. And, and as I said, always uh, uh, bring your uh, best to the panel discussions. And I want to thank you, of course, uh, most importantly, 
uh, all of the supporters and, and fans of the show, and uh, of course the, the general listeners. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, and it's really uh, you guys that help make Golf Talk Live a, a first-class show. So thank you for all of your continued support. And uh, I will endeavor to do my best to make uh, some uh, some more interesting guests uh, come on the show. We've got some great stuff coming up here uh, over the next few months, so I hope you'll continue to tune in. On behalf of uh, all of the great professionals that uh, join me, not only on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, but the many guests that uh, join me each and every night, Thank you and God bless everybody. Enjoy the PGA Championship this weekend. Uh, Watch it, not just for uh, some great tips that you might pull out of that, just watch it for the pure enjoyment and entertainment value of it. And uh, thank you for uh, being supportive of this great game. I look forward to seeing you next week with another round of Coach's Corner panel and another very insightful interview. Thanks, guys, and I will see you next week on Golf Talk Live. God bless.